Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 28th chapter, the 19th verse. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. You who are here in God's house this day, and also Christian friends, those of you who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. Today is an special day of rejoicing for us, is it not? Today is Anniversary Sunday at Emmanuel Lutheran Church. In fact, today is double Anniversary Sunday, Christian friends. On this day, we are commemorating the fact that Emmanuel Congregation is 95 years old. That a group of Lutheran Christians back in 1874 gathered together and organized this church known as Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Congregation. A double anniversary because on this Sunday, as most of us already know, in the year 1918, 51 years ago, this sanctuary was dedicated to the glory of God. And some of you are still alive who worship for the last time in the old church on East Columbia. And when that service was finished, you walked on Columbia. You came here to South Prospect Street. You walked up to the church, the doors were open, and as you walked in, the processional hymn 51 years ago this morning was the same one that we used, Open now thy gates of beauty. And so you came into this sanctuary, and God opened the gates of beauty, and you have worshipped here as a church ever since. A double anniversary, 95th and 51st. And you know when anniversary Sundays come, it is well that we stop for a moment and we do some uh, spiritual inventorying, that we take some spiritual stock. And I think today is a good day to stop and to say to ourselves, why would a group of Christians gather together and establish a congregation and perpetuate it for 95 years? Why? What's the reason for the church? What's the purpose of the church? Why would anybody put the money into this sanctuary that has been put here? And why would it be kept in repair? And why would we continue again this church for 51 years? Why? What's the idea of the church? What is its reason for existence? What is it supposed to do? And Christian friends, in order to answer that question, I think it's only fair and proper that we go to the Lord of the church himself and we ask him, Christ, what about your church? What's the reason for it? What is it supposed to do? You know, in the life of Jesus, if you read about it, uh, there was an appointment that he mentioned to the disciples that was very dear to his heart. He told them even before he died, he said, don't forget, men, I want to meet you up in Galilee. Then you remember on the day of his resurrection when the angel told the women to go tell the disciples and Peter that he was alive and said that he'd meet you in Galilee. And you and I wonder, what about that meeting in Galilee? Uh, that was so dear to Christ that he reminded them of that and that he wanted them to be sure and be there. I think the Apostle Paul gives us the answer when he tells us about the risen Christ appearing at one time 
to more than 500 of his followers, and that occurred up in Galilee. Christ gathered together one day his followers. He had a congregation of about 500 people, that was all. And he met them up in Galilee, and the disciples were there, and then the risen Christ appeared to them, and this is what he told them. He says, Go ye therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He told them that day, I want you to be my missionaries. I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to go out and I want you to share me with others. I want you to tell other people about me. I want you to testify to others concerning me. And that's why today on this anniversary Sunday when we say to ourselves, why the church? What is its purpose in life? The Lord of the church calls to you and me as he tells us. And he says, I want you to go. I command you. I plead with you. This is the purpose of the church. And I want you to go out and I want you to share me with others. I want you to go and tell others about me. And I wonder what kind of a reaction that gets in your heart or in mine. Isn't it strange that sometimes we react this way and we say, how could he ever ask us to do that? How could the Lord of the church ever ask us to go out and share him with others? We may say to ourselves, can you think of anything more distasteful than to have to do that? Can you think of a greater burden that anybody could put on you and me than to have us to go out and to tell others about him? Can you imagine anything that would be more weighty, more burdensome than to have to go out and to tell others about Christ? And you and I may say, where's there any fun in that? Where in the world is there any joy in going out and sharing Christ with somebody else? We may say it looks to us like Jesus would just like to squeeze out of your life and mine every last ounce of joy. Oh, surely if there was joy in going out and sharing him, then you and I may say no wonder this is what he wants us in his church to do. But how in the world could he ever ask us to go out and to share him with others when we may say that isn't a life worth living. That is so distasteful. There's nothing that is inviting. There is nothing appealing about going out and telling others and sharing Jesus Christ with others. And we may be very reluctant and maybe that's why in your life and mine we say this is something I don't do because I find no joy and no enthusiasm in it. But I would like to remind you this morning, Christian friends, on this anniversary uh, that Christ calls to you and me and he says, will you go out and be my witnesses? Will you go out and be my missionaries? Will you go out and share me with others? And all because of this, strange as it may seem, he said, I assure you that it will make your cup run over with joy, that you will find your life effervescing. You will find that there will be a spring in your life, you will find that it really will mean living life on tiptoe. It will be a life so worth living, the Lord reminds you and me, that if we had it to do over again, we would do it just that way. And we may wonder about that. We may say, do you mean to say that if I go out and share Jesus Christ, that it's going to be a life worth living, that my cup will really run over, that I will have a spring in my step, and I'll live on my tiptoes in enthusiasm? Yes, that's exactly what Christ promises you and me. Because in the first place, Christ reminds you and me that going out and sharing him with others, it means simply this, to go out and to tell others about him and about his death, and then to tell them what he and his death really mean to us. 
You may say, is there any joy in going out and sharing with others something about Christ and his death? Oh, sometimes we may say, well, I'm not a preacher, and therefore I'm not a theologian. I can't do that. But I wonder if there is any Christian within the sound of my voice who knows anything about Christ at all, who can't go out and tell somebody else something about Jesus and his death. I challenge you, there's nothing so difficult, is there? You mean to say that you and I can't tell somebody that Christ is our Savior, and that he who was the Son of God came into this world because he loved us, and he went to the cross, and he died for our sins, that he took our place, and that he bore the punishment of our sins and our guilt and that when you and I put our faith and trust in him that we have the forgiveness of sins anybody is a Christian that doesn't know that much about Jesus Christ that's all he asks he says this is all it means will you just go out and tell people about me and will you tell them about my death and what happens and when you and I say this is what Jesus means to me as we talk to somebody else that we can say every day when I turn to him and I'm sorry for my sins and I ask him to forgive me because he died for my sins there comes to me peace of mind and peace of heart my conscience no longer troubles me because he tells me I forgive your sins and I remember your sins no more I think you and I as long as we've got breath in us could tell somebody oh what a comfort it is and what a peace of heart and mind to know that when I'm forgiven every day that Christ doesn't even remember my sins anymore they are blotted out of his mind and oh there is the peace of heart that comes to me and then Jesus assures you and me says when you do that you are going to find that you can live life on tiptoe because there will grow within you a greater sense of joy and appreciation of the fact that you are no longer lost we may say to ourselves I wish that there could grow in my heart a real joy and a sense of appreciation to know that because I have Christ that when death comes to me I'm not going to hell you know I talked to a man one day he was on his deathbed in the hospital and he had had so many things wrong with him and he looked at me and smiled and he said this to me he said I know this he said in spite of everything that has come to me I know this that I'm not lost I know that I'm not going to hell nothing else matters you parents may say there's Vietnam and my son and my daughter there. You may say my husband is over there, my wife is over there. And you may say look at the adversities and the troubles that have come. Listen, when you and I have shared Jesus Christ with someone else, that's got to rub off on you and me. And there comes a great sense of appreciation to you and me. And we say let come what may. I don't care what comes. I know that it stops at the grave. I know that God will wipe all tears from my eyes and and from that moment on, I'll never know what a tear is. I will never suffer hell. My body and soul will never again suffer anything. And let me tell you when that grows, and there's a joyous conviction in your heart and mind that that is ours, because we have shared this Christ with others, you live life on tiptoe. Then you and I say, my cup runs over. There is a joy, there is a growing sense of real appreciation. And that's why today when we take stock, and this is the 95th and the 51st anniversary that we ought to say Lord Jesus gladly will I do what you're asking me to do that I will go out and I will share you with others and that will mean this that then we'll thank him the Lord of the church today that for 95 years you have heard as members of this congregation and in this sanctuary you have heard the message of Christ and his death 
the very essence of what we are to share. I think of this congregation 95 years ago. The first pastor of this congregation that organized it as a church was the late, the Reverend Martin Carl Hecht. And he preached Christ and him crucified, as those of you who may remember him can well attest. And then there came the Reverend Alexander Lewis Nicholas, and he preached Christ and his death and his crucifixion, as those of you who remember him can attest this morning. And then there came the Reverend Ernest Frederick William Stellhorn, and those of you who remember him can say, he preached Christ and him crucified. And then there came the Reverend James Walter Schellinger, and those of you who revere his memory can say, he preached Christ and him crucified. And I say it in all humility as your present pastor, that has been preached from this pulpit as long as I have occupied it. I wonder if you realize that woven into this very church is the center of the cross of the Christian faith. Do you realize the church is laid out as a cross? Do you realize that here the nave, the main part of the church, this is the main beam, the ground beam, and here you have the cross beam, the transepts to remind you and me that every time we come into this church, it is built on the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the essence. And when you and I know the essence again of that which is the heart and soul of what we are to share with others, oh, there comes a sense of sympathy, doesn't it, when we read about Bishop James Pike. I don't know about you, but my heart went out to that man, a brilliant individual. He started out, yes, as a bishop in the Episcopal Church. And when he put reason to work in theology, because reason certainly can't understand how Mary could have been the mother of Christ as a virgin. Your reason and mine can't understand that. But if reason becomes predominant and I refuse to believe what my mind can't understand, then this is what happened to Pike. He could no longer believe the virgin birth. But you see, human reason is not supposed to be the mistress of theology. It's only a handmaid. God can do all things. And so the virgin birth went and because he couldn't understand in the basis of reason that Christ, a human being, could be God's son, there went the deity of Jesus Christ. And then he resigned his charge, and of course there wasn't much left. And then the sad tragedy of a son, 22 years old, in despair, in a lonely apartment in New York City to commit suicide. And then Bishop Pike, trying to contact his son beyond the grave, he turned to spiritualism, and again going into clairvoyance, and then the trip to the Holy Land, and going out in that desert and if you've ever been there and I have you never go out into that desert alone because it's too treacherous and you may never get back but when he was lost all the clairvoyance in the world those who claim to be able to have extrasensory perception trying to tell where he was and they all failed and my hope is this that when James Pike was dying uh, that reason was laid aside and as a child he turned back to the Christ of the word and the Christ of the cross and that in him he found forgiveness and life and salvation. And may you and I know this as we again thank God for 95 years of that testimony here. If in your life and mine there has been a hesitancy to go out and to share him, if we have been reluctant and we have said that's so distasteful, it's so uninviting, it just simply squeezes out of my life every sense of joy, 
We have the comfort today of the Holy Communion of the Lord's Supper. And if we have failed him there, let's bring that sin along with us to the communion table. And let's say, Lord Jesus, by means of bread and wine as you give me your body and blood today that you sacrificed on the cross, let it be the two erasers that will erase from my soul this sin that I thought it so uninviting that I was ashamed to ever say one good word about you and your death to somebody else. Lord, forgive. And that you and I can come away from the Lord's table this morning and say, He's even forgiven that on my part, that I was ashamed, that I found no joy and no enthusiasm. I was afraid ever to open my mouth because, again, I thought it was squeezing out of my life and oozing out of it every last ounce of joy. What a comfort that we can even bring that sin and let's bring it today if you and I have been dilatory and negligent in sharing him. Today, 95 and 51, these are our anniversaries and we say it's a good time for spiritual inventory and we check stock and we say, why the church? Why would anybody want to keep a congregation going for 95 years? And why would you build a sanctuary and spend money like that and again keep it going for 51 years? Why the church? And the Lord of the church says... Will you be my missionaries? Will you be those who will go out and witness me? Will you go out and will you share me with others? Go ye and make disciples of all nations. Oh, go out and tell others. And you and I may say, well, is there any assurance that life will be worth living? That I will have, oh, that there will be an oomph in my life. That it will sort of effervesce and it will run over. And I'll be walking with a spring and I can be on tiptoe. Christ says most assuredly. Because Christ reminds you and me also that to go out and to share him it means in simple language to go out and tell somebody else about him and his resurrection and then to tell others what these things mean to us you don't have to be a preacher and a theologian is there any Christian in my audience this morning or in the radio field that you don't know enough about Christ that you couldn't tell somebody that Jesus Christ God's son who died on Calvary that he rose again from the dead you and I know that and that we would say that because of that resurrection we know that he, he merited all the righteousness that you and I need for eternal life. And that you and I have found him to be that kind of a savior. That when we have turned to him in sorrow for sin and we put our trust in him because he lives and arose from the dead, that you and I have this assurance in life that we are saved. Do you know of any greater joy that can come than to know that we are saved because we have put our faith and our trust in a risen Christ. Anybody here that can't share that? And you may say, joy in the peace of mind that comes to you and me that regardless of what happens in life, we are safe. And then that rubs off on you and me and there comes this through testifying to others to take in the time to tell others about this Christ and about his resurrection. There comes a growing sense of appreciation and joy of what heaven really means. Does heaven mean much to you and me except a theory? How many times have we said, I would to God that heaven meant something, really something worthwhile? It must be something worthwhile because God came into this world and died so that you and I might go to heaven with him. And the word of God says as regards Christ that he said, Oh, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame. In simple language, that means this, that Christ 
when he knew after his death, even though that would be terrible, that he would go back home, he went to the cross willingly and he took the shame and he again didn't despise it, it didn't make any difference to him because he knew after that death for your sins and mine, he could go home. Heaven must be wonderful. When does the appreciation of heaven grow? It grows when you and I take the time and when we go and we share Jesus Christ with others, then that joy begins to grow and a sense of appreciation we say, nothing else matters. When I die, I'm going to heaven. In the moment that I close my eyes in death, I will be with my Christ. And to have this joy to say, oh, to be in heaven. And if you've got a son there to say, oh, there's my son who is there in Christ to see him again. There's my husband, there's my wife, there's my son, there's my daughter, there's my sister, there's my brother. You and I say you can't have a spring to your step and you can't live on tiptoe. If you and I want to see that sense of appreciation of heaven, to see it grow as a reality that nothing else matters if I am killed in Vietnam, I'm going to heaven to be with my Lord to be with my loved ones. Oh yes, if we can put a man on the moon, heaven must be tremendous, this universe. Somewhere where God is, there are the heavenly mansions. And you and I can live on tiptoe when Christ said to his church that day up in Galilee, I want you to go out and share me. Oh, he was saying, this is the life worth living. This is the life that will just bubble over. It will effervesce. Your cup will run over. This is the life that brings joy. And when we realize that, then today we ought to say on Anniversary Sunday, gladly will I go out and I'll share Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And that means that we ought to determine to pray to the Lord of the church that in this sanctuary, the Christ of the cross and the Christ of the resurrection will continue to be preached that these things are not lost. You may say, is there any chance for these things to be lost? May I say yes. I don't know who's ever going to follow in this pulpit. Eventually it's going to come. Either I'm going to move or I'm going to die. And that brings up the problem, who comes next? And may I say this, my prayer for Emmanuel Congregation is this. I hope and pray to the Lord of the church that whoever comes, that he will not be ashamed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are men in our American Lutheran church who are ashamed of believing in the inspiration of Scripture. There are men in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod who are ashamed to believe in the inspiration of Scripture. There are men in the Lutheran Church in America. Those are the three large Lutheran bodies who are ashamed. You may say, what are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about this. Perhaps you don't know what's going on in theological circles, but what's going on is a demythologizing, a new approach to the Scriptures. It goes by a tremendous name. It's called hermeneutics, and that means less than nothing to you and very little to me. But what we are being told is this, that when you talk about the inspiration of scriptures that the Holy Spirit superintended him, that this doesn't refer to the words at all, we are told. That it only refers to this, that the scriptures are inspired because they speak of Christ. And because in our 20th century we can no longer believe in miracles, there are those in our church too who are saying that you've got to demythologize 
the scriptures, you've got to take the fairy tale out of it that after all, Christ didn't still the tempest. He didn't do that. Christ didn't change water into wine. He didn't heal the sick, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. Those are just little illustrations. Those are just little parables or fairy-like tales or sagas that men wrote in order to show you the lordship, the greatness of Christ. In other words, the scriptures don't say what they say. I talked to a professor one day and I asked him the question, I said, did Christ raise Lazarus from the dead or not? Was that an historical fact that actually took place? And the answer I got was, uh, that is absolutely irrelevant. It doesn't make any difference whether Christ raised Lazarus or not. That is simply a story. It's simply a little myth to accentuate the fact that Christ had power. And so the man that wrote that, he just wrote that as an illustration. This is what I mean. These men are in our church, and I said to that man, and he said, when I made the great changeover, that again, that these are myths and these are not historic events, he said, my religion became so much alive, and I said to him, would you do this? Would you get rid of all the gobbledygook that you men are writing about so laymen can understand? Will you come out in the open and write some articles for the Lutheran Standard and tell the lay people of the American Lutheran Church what you mean? And I'll see to it as a member of the Board of Publication that controls the Standard that the editor of the Standard will print your articles. Will you write them and get rid of gobbledygook that people in my church know what you're talking about? And he turned me down. And I don't blame him. You see, this gobbledygook, you don't know what's going on. And my hope and prayer for this congregation is this. You see, if a man comes into this pulpit that no longer believes that miracles are historic, then the resurrection of Christ is not historic. And then the ultimate is this. Was Christ an historic person? Did he ever live? Maybe he was only a myth too. And there's nothing left. And God forbid that when you and I will go out and share him, the Apostle Paul said, you know, that he said, if Christ be not raised, if that isn't an historical event, your faith is absolutely good for nothing. It's worse than a hill of beans. You are yet in your sins. And that means that if you and I are going to go out and share that Christ, and then we bring sinners to an adult class and let them know about Christ and bring them here, this will no longer be a hospital for sin-sick souls. There is a balm in Gilead, says the Word of God, that heals sin-sick souls. And I hope to God this church will always be a hospital that the dirty and the stinking sinners who want help can come in and feel at home. That sinners can come in and know that there is a Christ who died and who arose for them who is more willing to forgive and to save than they are to ask for repentance. That's my prayer for this congregation. And on this day, again as we talk about the 95th and the 51st and we say to ourselves why the church why would we get together as a congregation for 95 years and why build a sanctuary 51 years and support it what's the object of the church and the Lord of the church says go and make disciples of all nations will you go out and will you share me with others this is the purpose of the church and he calls to you and me and all because he guarantees you and me that it means a life worth living it means a spring to our step it means your cup and mine running over a life that we live over again it means living life on tiptoe because he also reminds you and me that to share him with others, it simply means this, that you and I will look for opportunities to show mercy and kindness to others and to show deeds of kindness to others in the name of Christ because they are Christ's brothers. 
Oh, what does it mean to bear witness? What does it mean to share Christ? Rather simple. Jesus says it means to go out and will you just be kind to your fellow man in my name? Will you just be kind and merciful and every opportunity will you do something kind, a good deed to my brethren? And you say, no joy, no Why, Christ found tremendous joy. I, I've always loved this one little incident of Christ, and sometimes people skip over it. You talk about the joy that he found in going out and showing mercy and doing kind. It happened, he was up in Capernaum, up in Galilee. You know, that was his headquarters up there, and I was in Capernaum. Remember, he was with a crowd of people, and Jairus came to him, and he said, Lord, won't you come to my house? My little 12-year-old daughter's dying. Please come and heal her. And there were a lot of people around. You remember, we are told that in the audience, in that group, there was a lady who had an issue of blood for 12 years and hemorrhage and she had spent all her money and still hemorrhaging and her life again was going slowly away and she said to herself if I can just touch the hem of his garment I will be made whole remember that and in that press she thought he'd never know and she sneaked up to him and oh she was afraid and she finally touched his garment the minute she did Christ said somebody touch me Oh, there wasn't the, somebody touched me. And the disciples, I guess they were rather disgusted. They said, why, of course somebody touched you in this crowd. And Jesus said, oh no, somebody touched me because I felt power go out from my body. Looked around, he saw her. What a look it must have been of love. And she was scared to death. She must have been shaken. Oh, she wondered whether she said, I looked down, he said, woman, he said, thy, thy faith has made thee whole. It was the, oh, it was the joy an opportunity and what joy there was in his life even though you know he never lived to see humanly speaking some of the results of his influence and in being kind and showing deeds of kindness to others look at Nicodemus Christ began his ministry to remember and he went down in Judea that's around Jerusalem there was an eight months ministry before he went into Galilee right at the very beginning suddenly even Nicodemus came to see him remember that and Christ was so kind to that man he treated him with utmost kindness and answered the questions that Nicodemus wanted there is no record from that time on that Christ ever talked to Nicodemus until his death there's only one other mention that at the time when the Sanhedrin, that's the tribunal, got together and they were going to put Jesus to death and they were sentencing him. Nicodemus was the man that got up and said, it isn't quite proper, is it, that you sentence a man to death before you give him a trial? And of course they sat him down. But, you know, Christ died on Good Friday and lo and behold, three years before he had shown kindness to Nicodemus by night. And here on the day of his death, Christ was dead probably never saw who comes out of the shadows but Nicodemus and oh pray God he's got a hundred pounds of spices to anoint the body of Jesus I don't know what Jesus weighed but can you imagine he was so filled with joy and now he's courageous oh here was a delayed spiritual bomb going off a hundred pounds in other words, he just couldn't do enough. He came out, oh, that's my Lord. And then there was, there was Joseph of Arimathea. There's no record of when he ever saw Jesus. Somewhere along the line, Jesus must have said something kind to Joseph of Arimathea, or he heard him say something kindness that warmed his heart. And, but after his death, this time bomb went off after Jesus. Jesus was dead. But here comes Joseph of Arimathea, and he claims the body. 
Someday I'd like to ask Joseph of Arimathea, what was it in the early ministry of Jesus that influenced you for eternity? Did he say something or did he shake hands with you or was it a kind look? He must have done something. That'd be an interesting thing to find out in heaven, won't it? But again, the joy of seeing a spiritual time bomb go off. And oh, when you and I, a little kindness, a kind word, a little deed, the man that's hungry, we feed him because it's Christ's brother. And the man that's thirsty, we give him a drink of water because it's Christ's brother. And the man that doesn't have any clothes, we give him some clothes. It's Christ's brother. You see, Christ identifies himself with me. The man that is, oh, that is lonely and all alone, we take him in. The man that is sick, we go visit him because it's Christ's brother. The man that's in jail, we go see him because it's Christ's brother. And then the joy, oh, of having it rub off on us that we have been an influence on that person for eternity. That person will never be, never be the same again. There will be something different because mercy and kindness and consideration came out of your life and mine. It ought to mean this then, that we ought to say, Lord Jesus, gladly will I share you with others. I'll go out and speak a good word about you to others and I'll go out and show a little kindness and a little mercy because I want to thank you for the power that you have assured us that you have and that the gates of hell will never prevail against your church and that therefore what we tell others is going to come to pass. What a Christ when he said the gates of hell shall never prevail against my church. My church is going on forever. Built on a rock the church does stand and it's going to come out victorious because of the power of Jesus Christ. That when you and I go out and we share him with others we can have this blessed assurance within our hearts that these things are going to come to pass. And then the joy perhaps in our life of seeing a delayed spiritual bomb go off. Did you ever see a delayed spiritual bomb go off? Did you ever see someone turn to Christ who would be the last person that you'd ever expect? Early in my ministry, and it's, it's one of the joys, it is something that added to my ministry that I'll never, never, ever doubt the power of Christ. Can you think in your mind of a woman who is the harlot of a small community? Can you think of a woman who lived with a man who wasn't her husband for 20 years and then on the side sold herself every day in prostitution? Can you think of a woman like that? Can you think of one who was diseased as a result of her life? Can you think of a woman who was the most blasphemous woman that you could ever see and hear? Can you think of one who blasphemed and profaned God, who hated God with a vengeance? Can you think of one who as she worked in the tavern, she could even cause the men there with the dirty stories and with her blasphemous mouth to blush? Can you think of somebody like that? Can you think of a woman whose delight on Sunday morning was standing outside of the tavern where she worked and when men and women went by to go to church, she laughed at them, she ridiculed, she blasphemed the name of Christ, she said every dirty, damnable thing that she could and the only thing that ever saved her from having her face crushed in was the fact that she was a woman. Can you think of a woman like that? Well, may I say, it was that woman early in my ministry that sent one day and wanted to see me. I didn't know her then. All that I was told that if you are the Lutheran minister, a woman wants to see you. And as I walked into the door, 
The first thing she said to me, are you the Lutheran preacher? If you aren't, don't come in. I only want to talk to the Lutheran preacher. And I wondered about that. And I said, I was. And I went in and I sat down. And this is what she said to me first. She said, I don't want to be buried like the dogs. Would you say a blessing over me when I die? Would you say a blessing at my funeral? And then she broke down and then she cried and then she looked me straight in the face and crying. She said, do you think, Reverend, that God could have room in heaven for somebody like me? And then she went on she told me about herself. And you can't, can't paint it any worse than it was because it couldn't have been any worse. But this was the point. Then I said to her, why did you insist that I be a Lutheran pastor? Why did you want me? And then here it came. She said, I came from a Lutheran home. I can remember my mother when I was a little girl. I remember prayers my mother taught me and I remember my mother took me to Sunday school and I remember some of the stories about Jesus that I heard as a child and my mother took me to church and I remember hearing about Jesus. I saw a time bomb go off 50 years after the bomb had been set. 50 years. Don't you ever tell me Oh, that the gospel is not the power of God. I have seen a delayed spiritual time bomb. And then there came the day of confirmation because she had never been confirmed. And in that little community where I was on that Saturday afternoon, around that tavern and around those that knew her, there was sort of a holy silence. And on that Saturday afternoon when the Catholic priest walked by because his parsonage wasn't very near the tavern, she stopped him and she said, Father, you know what? And he said, what? She said, tomorrow I'm going to be confirmed. And he looked at her and he said, you're going to be confirmed. He said, I'll never again call you Maisie. That wasn't her name. He said, from today on as long as I live. I will call you Miss Smith. And she was confirmed in my church. A delayed spiritual time bomb that went off 50 years after it had been sown. And fools who came to scoff that day, they remained to pray. There were some who had added to her life. And when she spoke to me before she died out in the infirmary, she looked up at me and she smiled and said, Don't forget, I'll see you in heaven. Don't ever tell me that there's no joy in going out and bearing witness. God only knows what a good word and a kind deed for Jesus may do in a delayed spiritual time bomb that may go off. This is Anniversary Sunday. And oh, we ought to thank God that we have that privilege and that we can walk on tiptoe and we can walk the glory road. We've got a wonderful, powerful Christ. He is our God and we can sing, Oh God, how great Thou art. Oh God, how great Thou art.
O God, how great Thou art. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Thank you.